0: You know, so after twenty minutes and a complete reformat of the SD card, yeah, I think we we're finally ready to to launch this ship. I think it's ready to go. Why don't we go. break a bottle of fucking Cristal over the bow? Let's and do get it. Going. Because my day today started at 2 o'clock in the morning. Vey, why did happened? it start so early? Why? I'm going to tell you why it started so early. Because my moron son decided he was going to go out last night, a Monday night, and then roll in at 2 o'clock in the morning. Ugh. And this is after this whole to-do about him begging us to go, to um, skiing up at Wyndham right. with a couple of his friends. Like one of their friend's parents owns a house up there. So he's taken this intercession class because he only managed to eke out nine credits out of his first semester of college. Mm. And the class is two weeks long, and this is like the middle of it. <laughs> so we're like, well, we're like, here's the deal. Uh, we're going to let you go up there but you have to outline two of those chapters before you go of what you need to do. And if you get anything less than a C in the class, you're paying for it. Like and it. he was all like, oh, I'm doing great. I have hundreds and everything in there. And I'm like, have you gotten any grades back yet? He's like, no. So I'm like, how do you know you have hundreds and everything? Right. <laughs> but then when, it, when all of a sudden it was looking like he had some skin in the game, like he was going to have to cough up like a thousand dollars for the SUNY Farmingdale online class that any idiot could (laughs) pass you know without he got all like cagey like well I don't know you know like so (laughs) I don't know so uh, and my wife of course like I can if it was me it was just me I would have went to bed he gets home when he gets home and I'll deal with it in the morning my wife wakes up at 10 o'clock Uh, Then she wakes up at midnight. Then she wakes up at two. He's still not there. She's got my phone going because it's got to find my iPhone on it. She sees him sitting in his friend's house two blocks away. It's not like they went anywhere. But then she's like sitting in bed with the phone on. And uh, I don't know. It... uh, None, neither one of us got any sleep, and you know, of course, she's completely entitled to be worried about yeah. it because he's not. What do you do at, at two o'clock in the morning?
1: Nothing good happens at two o'clock. N- in nothing the good. We used to say nothing good happens after midnight, especially in a bar. And, th-
0: and then he catches a ride home with some kid who he's been hanging out with, and yeah. the assumption is this kid just sat there till two in the morning without drinking, you know, like right, right. So I mean, I remember, and and this is a curse. For me, because like I know what I—I I don't think I told the truth to my parents about what I was doing from the <laughs> no. age of fifteen to the—you know,
1: dude, never. I used yeah. to fear all the time one day they would find out. And, so, uh, so did.
0: my wife is perfectly justified in being upset at at this at these shenanigans, yeah. and uh, I don't know. So, I didn't get any sleep either. Uh, and here we are.
1: Yeah, that's (laughs) rough, man. Uh, you know, I'm watching from afar, just sort of projecting myself and what I'm going to be dealing with, you know, I'm just assuming I'm going to have these exact issues, but like, uh,
2: yeah, sorry, somehow or
1: else that works even after reformatting the card. Anyway, maybe it's a different, I'm sorry, I didn't
0: mean to interrupt your.
1: Yeah, I was just saying it's <laughs> so, fun to watch my future you know like <laughs> I'm, I'm basically taking cues how I'm gonna deal with this but you know I, I was thinking back when I he's in college so he's right. just, home, he's on just home on a break I remember when I uh would come home for breaks for a couple of weeks I'm trying to think back I definitely partied but like my parents seemed to leave me alone completely mm. it was interesting like thinking back because they were pretty helicoptery but when I was in college, something like a switch flipped in my yeah. dad's head, and he's like, "Okay, he wants to fuck up his life." That's kind of where
0: I'm at. Yeah. I'm like, you know, you don't you don't learn by somebody always bailing you out, and wiping your ass. You learn by falling down your face and making mistakes. Yeah. Of course, as a parent, it's much harder to watch your kids fall down and break yeah. their face because, especially nowadays, the stakes are higher. Right? Like, yeah. Kids do stupider shit. There's fentanyl and all the drugs. Yeah. Like he could, you know, part part of my mind and i and this is probably because i'm just surrounded by addiction all the time on this fucking <laughs> it's do and everything it's like i'm thinking he's like it's 2 in the morning he's not answering a text he's yeah. he's OD'd on fentanyl and he's lying in his friend's basement that's I, you know that's where i'm that's where i go and I, which is ridiculous too. to go there
1: all the time with the but so long as i was thinking about that too like i'm doing that same thing with uh, with noah like this morning his he carries a special lunch bag that's attached to his regular bag That this morning, my wife was like, what is in here, right? She opens it up, and it looked, it was just candy. (laughs) Like, but not just like a kid's candy. Like, he's stocking different types of candy like a store. Yeah, but isn't he like selling it at school? Well, apparently, he's taking it to the next level. And I said, you know, I was talking to him this morning. My wife's like, talk to him. I'm like, all right. And he, I was like, where are you getting all this candy, man? He's like, oh, I get it from this guy. It's really good stuff. I said, no, I, <laughs> do you understand how this sounds? He goes, it's not drugs. I said, I know it's not drugs. I said, but boy, it certainly looks like you're being groomed to deal drugs in school. I'm like, you have a supplier. You have your customers. Are there people that sell wholesale candy in fucking seventh grade? He says there's some kid who like buys it, <laughs> buys it in bulk, and he's like one of... <laughs> He's one of like the street corner kids. with get the, the kid. fuck. I swear to God. Here. And apparently this is against the rules, but you know, it's business. So tell it's him business. what he has to do is he has to get a
0: couple goons and beat the shit out of that guy and take over his territory because yeah. <laughs> he has to become, he has to become the, the wholesaler. You make more money at wholesale and you
1: take less risk. He's very savvy. I think he'll, he'll get there. You know, I want him to find his own way to uh, taking over the entire territory, but it's just funny. Like the way that we project these things in our kids, but You know, maybe if my parents were thinking more along those lines, who knows? You know, but
0: ultimately, though, and here's the thing, I I remember when I was 18, and I don't know why, like, because I don't remember a lot of other years of my life, but I remember when I was that age, and my parents could have told me anything, they could have tried to do anything, it wouldn't have made one bit of difference, I would have just gone out and did what I was going to do. So my thinking is, and, and this came up because somebody in our our Discord was having an, uh, uh, an issue that kind of is grounded in the same idea that you cannot control the way that other people do things. Mm. You can think that you can, you can think that you can exert influence, but people are going to do what they want to do, yeah, right? no matter so this, what. So where does the suffering come from in you? The suffering in you comes from thinking that you can make somebody behave the way that you want them to, when really you have no control over what other people do. You can, you can be a jerk yeah you can't change but you can't you know and all you're doing is punishing yourself that is my philosophy because you know i don't know i just i just think that um lessons that are learned with a little bit of pain are the ones that stick with you i love that as a way
1: to start the show Oh, right. We didn't start the show yet. (laughs) We're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. I'm Sleepy Mike. And boy, do we have a show for you today on RMA. It's Mike and Nat in the morning. Welcome to another exciting episode. And I'm sure you're all a little confused because we basically started the episode. But you were making such great points. I'm like, I don't want to interrupt this. This was good shit. All this on four hours sleep. Yeah, this is when we. Sleep. This is when we get the most philosophical. When I, you know, don't sleep during the night, and you're just kind of half tired, half asleep, half awake. And this is when all the stream of consciousness begins meandering around the bend.
0: Yeah, and then, but there's no, there's typically no touchstone or place to right. stop. And I mean, maybe it's appropriate that because when I don't get a, uh, a lot of sleep. I feel like the same as I used to when I was hungover. Yeah, scares And scares so, me. <laughs> so now we're going to be talking about this book, The Addicted Lawyer, by Brian Cuban today. Yep. And he was mostly hungover
1: a lot. All the all time. All the time.
0: Uh, a lot of parallels with my own experience, but we'll get to that.
1: Um, uh, this episode is actually brought to you by the Recovery in the Middle Ages Patreon. Oh, Remember them? What is Patreon? (laughs) It's a members-only subscription service featuring Discord, private message, chat, and video. Um, It's like having a recovery support family right at your fingertips. Um, Go to patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages. I'm kind of doing a a little schlocky, but we're actually having a ball on the Discord. There's a great discussion forum on there that's separate and apart from our private Facebook one. People are suffering, though, also. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, people have trouble everywhere, but that's the point of this. It's we can like, all suffer together. Yeah, that's what this is. It's like when you go to church, you don't go because you're an angel. You go because you're a sinner. And I wish more church-going people would remember that. I, I, as their deacon, I remind them regularly. But, um, but that's the same with recovery. Like When people come to recover with us... We, you know, it's not about being perfect. We're not, you know, Hell none of no. us is perfect. and uh, Not even close. So it's great, though. We all recover together. So come on to the Discord. Yeah, Discord is great, man. I've really been enjoying it. It was, uh, It's like five bucks a month, I think, is the lowest I one. Think, is it five? I think or is it, it three? It might be three. I haven't looked at it in a long it's time. It's cheap. For what you get, it's cheap. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Um, so that was great. So join that. Um, I'll send reviews. you a sticker. We if want great Join reviews. the Patreon. I'll just send you a free sticker. Yeah. How about that? Um, free stickers for all.
0: Not all. Not everybody. Not all 7,000 people that like the, <laughs> the Facebook group. I don't have that many stickers. Yeah.
1: So uh, where should they visit us, though? Do we I don't know. It? Did the website get fixed? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> then it's com. Yeah, dot .com. Drop us a uh, a review on Apple, iTunes podcast. We will re- re- uh, will read reviews on the air. And, we'll review and that's it. That's enough schlocky also. intro garbage. Yeah, we, we do too much schlocky intro I know, intro we just garbage. didn't do any last time, so I'm like making up for it. It's okay, man. I mean, this is, this is what we do. Yeah. Um, so what do you want to do first? There's so much to do. We've got so much to get to. I think uh, some of you heard last week, who uh, listened to the last show, that uh, Rhina, the great, famous <laughs> um, recovering Rhina, ooh, that's a recovering, recovering rhino. Recovering Rhino.
0: No, he we, he needs a shirt with a rhinoceros on it. Yes!
1: I love this. The recovering rhino. And uh he's been just on fire. He joined the Discord and he's been like just spreading the word. He's doing great and he's so excited about his recovery that he's called and left another message.
0: Yeah, it's interesting like he Leaves a message and then usually a week goes by before we play it because he leaves it right before the show. So right. I think this came in last Thursday. So oh, nice. circumstances may have changed, and I think he's going to have to leave another corrective message Uh-oh. after we post this one that goes into further
1: detail. But
3: I
0: have, I, I will confess that I have not listened to this. Yet. I have not either. So and we're
1: all going to hear it together. Here we it's go. Probably a little dangerous, but here we go. Here we go. I hope it's not too loud.
2: What's up, Mike and Nats and our uh, main nation? This is Ryan Johnston, Chicago, and uh, just calling to check in. Say hey, how you doing? Honestly, I really have nothing to say, bro. If you don't play this? That's fine. I don't really care. I'm literally on break at work and bored. But I just want to call and say things are going good. I know I just called in the last show, but I just want to say hey, how you doing? And I uh, hope everyone's doing well. You know, I'm doing good. I'm uh, going to to florida at the end of the month oh, this is cool. something i wouldn't have been able to fucking do uh if i was using you know so it's like these little things are, are are cool like people ask me to go out and shoot pool and i was able to do that and say yes like i swear to god these are things that i wouldn't ever even consider doing it would be a straight no for me i'm uh, mm-hmm. sorry because you know my life revolved around getting and using more drugs so it's a little thing just starting to add up i'm uh wouldn't say I'm in a great spot, but certainly better than I was. I love you all. Stay strong. Much love from the Midwest.
0: Boom. The Midwest. That's- you know, a- after he left this, he, uh, he sent me a, a, a DM asking if I could hear a Chicago accent in there. And I pretended that i listened to it and i said said, yeah but it's not really that bad but here he sounds like some
1: kind of fucking gangster from the south side i don't know yeah the chicago was like da bears that was like when the chicago right Right. um and he called in the rma hotline so if you want to call in and leave a message it's 516-888-6297 uh it's about three minutes but yeah send us your stories your updates tell us how you're doing and uh Yeah, man, Uh, when I first got free, when I first, especially Suboxone, he just started a medically assisted treatment, Yes, uh, Suboxone. We like medically
0: assisted treatment here.
1: And what he's noticing is once you start uh, on one of those medications, you all of a sudden have all of this free time. Because you used to spend 12 hours, whatever it was, 24, just searching for drugs, doing drugs. It's a nightmare. Yeah. So now he's discovered, like, okay, now I don't have this craving all the time. I'm not chasing this high all the time. I can do anything. I've got time. I've got energy. It's amazing. And so I'm glad he's uh, sticking with it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for checking in. Yeah. Thanks for the Midwest accent. I had forgotten <laughs> yeah. how...
0: Uh, prevalent it is in the Midwest. Yes, right? the Midwest. So This is me not sleeping. I am just fucking babbling. <laughs> so I don't. Are we moving on to emails, or yeah, what are we doing? This
1: is a tell us your story uh, or send us an email uh, segment of the show. Uh, send it to Mike R at middleagesrecovery.com com. Uh, you could send us these emails or, or posts on the uh, on Facebook, and we'd love to hear from you. And uh, so does everybody else. Are, so we got one.
0: Okay. Are we folding this into Monster Speak, or is that a different? thing.
1: Um, well I have more for Monsters Speak, but then we won't be able to do much with the book. So you Okay. We'll save I just want to try yeah. something. Okay.
0: Okay. Um, it deleted all my Oh, okay. I'm going to have to play the Monsters Speak uh, jingle underneath this very spot here at okay. 14 minutes and 59 seconds. Okay. Monkster, Monkster speak. Speak, speak. Speak, speak, speak. Here we go. Hi Mike, I was listening to your <clears throat> Uh, It's a guy. So let me do that again. Hi, Hi, Mike. I was uh, (laughs) listening to your latest podcast when you asked, is anyone really doing dry January? Yes, I am. Do I think it's because I need one month off? No way. I need all months off. However, I have to say it makes it much easier socially to use the now popular dry January to kickstart one sobriety. And no, it is not my only tool in the toolbox. I'm involved in multiple recovery groups and programs. I have no illusions that Dry January is a facade, but it's one that is now in the popular zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. This now opens the door to people who may have been afraid of the social stigma surrounding alcoholism or alcohol use disorder. Stigma. In my (laughs) humble opinion, it's just another door to welcome people into a health-centered lifestyle, love your podcast, keep at it, Love Fred. No, I didn't say love Fred, but
1: Fred. Fred, thank you so much. Um, I love that. Um, I'm glad that he commented on Dry January, too, because as Munkster Speak goes, we posted a Munkster Speak, uh, or you did, uh, in the uh, Discord recovery um, group, and we got some answers to that, too. Um, um,
0: I got another email, but I don't, so I don't know if you want to do that or you want to just... Just go right into Well, this
1: point. one is a dry January, so let's read the dry January responses before the next one, unless that's a dry January.
0: Sort of. It's from Samantha at okay, Soberlink. Yeah, Hi, team. That. Mind sending over November and December's impression info when you get a chance? <laughs> the landing page received 20 visits in December, and 10 of those people filled out a form to learn more. Exciting stuff. Thanks.
1: Yes! Yes! <laughs> Is that exciting? That's a 50% conversion rate. That's pretty good. But That's does amazing. anybody actually buy anything is the question. I don't know. Those are leads. They might even sell just the leads. that we will send you that data. Yes. Forthwith. Absolutely. And keep <laughs> advertising with us. Come on the show. Let's do this together. At Soberlink and RMA can... Go places. Eh, don't, get,
0: yeah. don't get all too excited about
1: that. Right. So, um, so we had some responses to the Dry January. Monkster speak on the Discord. And uh, Mike asks, "What is your experience with Dry January or Sober October or any other thirty day program you did? Challenges, wins. What did they do to keep your their mind off of alcohol? Did you decide to continue after thirty days? Thanks, Kyle, for the question.
0: Did I write that? Well, yeah. Kyle kind of wrote it. Kyle <laughs> was our executive producer oh. this week.
1: <laughs> okay, thank you, Kyle. Um, So, uh, Liz, Queen Liz of Haven, says, uh, only time I stopped drinking for any significant period was for six weeks while I was undergoing laser treatments for the fat accumulated around my waist. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry,
0: Liz. Not funny, but funny.
1: (laughs) I couldn't wait to start drinking again, and that's just what I did. It was about 10 years ago. Um, Wow, that's cool. I want to get something like that. I can get the fat off of my stomach. I didn't realize that was possible. I didn't either. I have a... Quite a bit of fat. Tell, tell us more, Liz. I'm looking for that hourglass figure. Plus, you. You, you stopped drinking.
0: Did they give you any pain medications? Hmm. Inquiring minds want to know. Do they? Like, do you get do you get oxys for lipo? I would imagine there'd they be probably, all these addicts with, <laughs> with very slim physiques if that were the case. I bet you, you know?
1: they do in the really rich ones when uh, they're yeah. just trying to give them more medication. Now, Chris, stop 57 wrote a really long one. Oh, just out the guy. Well... Yeah, it's long. <laughs> okay. um, shall I read the whole thing? I don't know. Yeah, what we got plenty of time. All right, we'll just skip the life update.
3: No,
0: I don't have anything can do interesting.
1: Everything. I never did a dry. Uh, this is for Chris on the um, on the uh, Patreon. I never did a dry calendar month like sober October or dry January. However, when I quit drinking, I built up. I built up to it by reading Annie Grace's "This Naked Mind" and listening to her podcast. Yeah, uh, she. <laughs> Just come out with the alcohol experiment, which had an online support feature with daily emails, reading, video, and journaling prompts. It was free back then, and I signed up just after quitting on my own. I did quit before, but this was different. Uh, the program was fantastic. It helped me refocus my intention from white knuckling to learning about alcohol and human biology as it relates to alcohol, other addictive behaviors, and the brain chemistry behind craving, compulsion, and other behaviors. He's a good, this guy would be a good journalist or like, um, Brighter here. Uh, as I, you know, just talking about Annie Grace, we haven't really discussed her lately. We but, haven't. Um, so if we have new listeners uh, who didn't hear those episodes, I highly recommend uh, go back and uh, listen to the This Naked Mind book review. I mean, that was. In,
0: in a nutshell, or nutsack. In a nutsack. In Uncle Jesse's Nuts. You can. Uh, <laughs> Annie Grace's um, This Naked Mind, basically what it does is it pulls the veil back on some of the more commonly held assumptions and hardwiring that we've received about alcohol and its place in society and in your life over the years and sort of unspools the threads and, and makes you take a look at what alcohol does to you versus what you think it's doing yeah. for you. It pulls back the curtain yes. on like it's, the
1: hypno- the hypnosis that we're all under. Yeah,
0: from a social perspective and from you personally. So what it what it's trying to do ultimately is get you to a place where you where you recognize two things. One, alcohol doesn't do anything for you and is harmful to you in any amount. And um two, sobriety is not a state of deprivation, but it's a state of abundance and it's something that you should aspire, want to be in all the time rather than constantly thinking about where your next drink is coming from. Do you think I got that? You got it. I, and
1: and the, the big takeaway for me was once you see that, you can't unsee it. Like yeah. once you internalize everything she's, you know, talking about, I was, you know, and that's what Chris is talking about. You can't unknow that stuff and it completely changes the way you think about alcohol. Yes. Moving on. As I approached the 30-day mark, I was somewhat terrified of being set adrift without the framework. I didn't know if I could, could moderate, or if I wanted to, I decided to go another 45 days or so from that point and consider drinking on St. Patrick's Day. As it turned out, I chose not to uh, and made another short-term goal. When I got six months, I had a drink on a family vacation and found it fairly unsatisfactory, but I knew I'd created something of a crossroads. A month later, I found myself wavering and went back and restarted the experiment. By the end of the second go, I was much more resolved to go forward on my own. Mm. It became much easier to make one decision than to debate it daily and weekly ad nausea. Absolutely 100%. Ends with some Latin.
0: I love it. That's why people should consider when they're flirting with the idea of moderation, that moderation, all that does is make your life a lot more complicated. And yeah. you're, you're, If anything, you spend more time thinking about alcohol, not yeah. less. Uh, exactly, and you know the goal uh, actually, what Annie says the ultimate goal is is to make alcohol a small and insignificant part of your life, so that you 're not obsessed with it one way or the other, right, yeah. and that's what hes that's what he's talking about there really it's that
1: moderation is uh, pointless ultimately. it's moderation is it's is harder pain yes. um, we've got one more from the wizened one, okay, and I feel like we have to read this because Alan, this is from Alan on the discord it 's a short one. Uh, ish. And uh, Alan's words of
0: wisdoms are always welcome.
1: The, it's a whiz bomb, as usual. This is from Alan. Uh, dry months weren't a thing when I was drinking, but I did have a bet with a friend who could go the longest without drinking. What I remember is we both cheated. <laughs> sort of like the Seinfeld with <laughs> masturbating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I probably lasted a week with the help of weed. Uh Two in two and all and whatever else I could get my hands on I've never seen that spelled out before Uh, I did kind of have a sober January when I first got sober I was in uh, a treatment seven weeks and they discharged me New Year's Day and I went back into the halfway house for I think six months It was a long time ago and I'm getting old all uh, Yeah memory it helped being off the street for all the holidays in the beginning. It wasn't entirely sure uh, this sobriety thing was going to work But with the gift of perspective, I can look back at those early days and see that I was done. So, sober January. Yeah, sure. I cannot drink in January or June or December. (laughs) Now I'm going to go enjoy my straight-up black, no-sugar coffee, neo-Neanderthal that I am. (laughs) Hope you all have a great Friday. Thank you. I'm going to do the same. Yeah. Yeah. Great
0: points. It's funny. You know, I've been talking to some people lately who've been doing dry January. You know, I, I guess folks who just... Or just your average drinkers, you know, and by that, I mean, like they drink a fair amount, um, but have decided for whatever reason to take a month off. And I've got I, the questions I'm getting are really interesting. It's like, you know, my wife and I have no idea what to do tonight, like w- without going out and <laughs> what drinking do we do? somewhere. Like, what do we do? You know? Uh So I'm like, I don't know, try axe throwing, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell me, you know, because it's like, and then like. I saw all these articles for whatever reason dry January seems to be like really in the zeitgeist as the other person said this year because there's all these articles that have been coming out like uh, like, you know, what what should me and my spouse do? We have nothing to do. And, um, you know, everybody usually quits on dry January on this day and it's January 6th or the first Friday after they say they're going to do dry January is when people fall off. Ah, Oh, okay, Because they realize that. You know, they get to the Friday and they're like, "Well, my whole social life is revolved around right. going out to bars and drinking." And it's almost like people can't like conceive of the fact that that there's something else to do. And I and I think some of it is like people are looking to recreate the bar experience without alcohol. And that's like, why well, nobody that. wants to do <laughs> because that?
1: A bar without alcohol is a bore, right? Oh wow, did you see that? See what Fuck, I did? There's a bumper sticker <laughs> or a T-shirt. <laughs> it's, it marketing just flows out of me. Catchphrases, <laughs> it's amazing branding. But I, but I and I think that's kind of it, like because like you go you
0: you get it into your head, you wear this deep groove in your thinking that Friday nights are for sitting your ass down on a bar stool, yeah, drinking, you know, and and relaxing. And I put up my little yeah. air quotes, relaxing. relaxing, because you know nothing nothing relaxing about it the next day. Nope. Um, rather than thinking, oh, I could spend Friday night. Um, you know, binge watching Yellowstone, or which is whatever. what I've been doing. Or I could, or well, I could go hobbies. to the gym. I could, go, I yeah. could, you know.
1: There's a million things you can yeah. do. And not only that, there's a lot of things you were already doing that can still be fun without alcohol. Going to see a band play or like. Yeah. But that's why I think AA can be so like so comforting early on because it gives you an instant social group of people That are like, they have stuff going on. You can go out, you Mm. can hang out, you can have fun, and there's no pressure to drink. So that's another reason to join uh, a recovery community in person. Sober Um, parties. Yeah, sober parties, you know, and then you retrain yourself to have fun, you know, without a drink. And now I find that I'm more hilarious, (laughs) uh, more entertaining without it. It's so weird because I didn't really know you before. I mean, I did,
0: like, we went out to that show, but you you seemed like you were like, you were you were keeping a lot of stuff internal yes well i was doing
1: my inner and plus at that time i was secretly drinking because i was already i think i might have been on probation still um i think i was still in the system okay so the drinking i was doing i was keeping extremely under wraps you know i mean after the first one which you were a little cagey about it
0: it was (laughs) like we were like hitting the (laughs) bar every 20 minutes you you can tell yeah that's funny um I'm just glad I didn't do drugs with you, or else we would be, ha- we would be doing a very different kind of podcast, yeah.
1: probably from prison. I wouldn't have chanced that. I didn't <laughs> think for half a second that you would uh, do drugs with me. If I did, it would have been a bad <laughs> night, <yeah. clears throat> I don't know. I always used to think
0: that. Like, when, it, when I would meet some new person, you could always kind of suss out yeah. within the first few minutes whether they were that kind of person or not. Yeah. You know? I, that's interesting. <laughs> I totally ruined this one guy. He, uh, he was... Um, God, I telling the story but uh (laughs) he he had just got you know i was living in the bronx it was the late 80s and this guy had just gotten out of prison where he was for like six months for he had a really bad cocaine problem and he had stolen some stuff and and it wasn't like the first time he'd been picked up so they made him do a stretch and he came out and he came to visit uh he was a friend of a friend that i knew in the bronx at Mm -hmm. college so he comes up And I sit down and I start talking to this guy. And all of a sudden, I realized that we have the same um, extracurricular interest and Uh the same kind of drugs. And within like a half an hour, I had him, he and I skipped out of the party and we're up in the the streets scoring. And then fast forward like six months later or a year later, he had gotten an apartment, but... um, The last time I saw him, I went into his apartment. He had sold all his furniture. Oh, Jesus. He was sitting there with just a lit candle and a stem in the middle of a room. Oh, my God. And since then, he's been basically in prison ever since to this day. Yeah. So I feel really bad about that. But I mean, I shouldn't because I know he would have found his way to, to that anyway. Yeah. I mean, but like, I felt like I was like the impetus. That
1: I mean, of, if, if you were the opposite, if you were, you know, sober, do you think you could have saved that guy? Do you think that no. there's any way you could no. have given him some no. hope or he was like a <laughs> way out? Some people just are born with a, I don't know.
0: I, I <laughs> a plastic spork in I their d- mouth. I tend not to, not to really think of biological determinism <laughs> in that way, but this guy, you know, from the time he was like thirteen, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I
1: try not to think that way. There's kids in our kids' grades, yeah. who I've already, you know, assigned to. I'm like that kid's going to jail, like, <laughs> but that's not fair. And it's I always, not. it's not, you know, when I had my store in town, all those kids would come in and out of my shop, and I like to be that shop owner who's friendly with the kids, and hey, Mister Kingsley, and you know, how was your day, kids? You know. So I got to eyeball a lot of these kids' behaviors and I and I tried to really when it was a kid that I had heard was bad, mm-hmm. um, and you would know who I'm talking about, there's a couple I know who you're talking and, about. And um, I really tried to give them the benefit of the doubt. When they came to my store, I tried to be, you know, like um, give them a fresh start and I got I regretted it every time because they would steal things and you know <laughs> Well it's funny because that kid I ran into him not too long ago, and he seemed like he was really sort of leveled out. It's possible. You know, like, yeah. I think he Noah got says he, proper medication,
0: and now yeah. he's, like,
1: well, he's okay. Because he had a rough yeah. home life. Yeah. You know. Well, hopefully we're praying for him. Yeah. Yeah, I know.
0: Uh, I got one more. Yes? Okay? It's from. It was an email that came in from MP. I'll, I'll just say her name is MP. Okay. And um, I like this one because it's someone that's not quite made the full commitment to a sober lifestyle yet, but is still sort of dipping the toe in as it were. Yes. MP says, hi, Mike, I've been listening to you guys for over a year and I love it. I've been dabbling in sobriety for a few years now. And your podcast really helps me through the ups and downs and inspires me to continue striving towards my ultimate goal of sobriety. So it is an ultimate ultimate goal, which is great. Um, I think one of the reasons I can relate to you guys so much is that I too grew up in the New York Area In the 80s, summer in the Hamptons, big yawn, but a shit ton of fun and winters in NYC. I went to a boarding school. I'm going to leave the name out. And then Hampshire College and spent many summers touring with the dead. Your mention of certain nightclubs in New York City instantly brought back crazy memories. And I wouldn't doubt if our paths crossed at some point in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm I have very little memory of the late 80s, (laughs) early 90s, so it's entirely possible. Uh, I currently live in Vermont in the middle of fucking nowhere and love it. I've been here for 30 years, and I don't miss my past life in the slightest. Anyway, I'm doing Dry January with the help of Annie Grace's Alcohol Experiment, and we'll see what happens from there. I hope you guys continue your podcast, as I know it gives me and many others something to look forward to in our quest to leave alcohol in the rearview mirror. Cheers, M.P.
1: Hey, MP. I thought you were saying NP. And I I didn't know who that was. But now I think now you know who it is. Yes. (laughs) So
0: that's nice. I mean, you know, any any kind of push that we can any kind of help that we can give people. Yes. And sometimes,
1: Mike, push comes to shove. And when it does, you'll regret it. I already regret it. That didn't make any sense. I don't know what the fuck you're um, talking about. I never know what the fuck <laughs> you're talking about. Thank you, everybody, for writing in. I love doing shows where people are participating. As you know, it's always been my dream to have like a, a radio show, you know, in the morning zoo type of thing. Or Yeah. <laughs> and um, I wish we could have like call-ins <laughs> yeah. and, you know, so this is We just, could. I mean, the phone is hooked up to the
0: machine. We I, could just give people a time and tell them to call in.
1: That's not a bad idea. Why don't we just do that? You want to do that? Yeah.
0: All right. Okay. The Australians are almost in bed.
1: But, you know, maybe they, they'll call. What happens? You do it and then nobody calls. Isn't that like the most embarrassing, demoralizing yeah, just pre- moment in a show? It, pretend it's not even a segment. You just slip <laughs> it, over and go on to the next thing. Yeah. All right. Maybe that's coming soon. Does anybody out there want us to do
0: call ins? Does anybody want to call in? Because it's hard enough for me to get people to call the hotline yeah. and talk when they're, you know, Let's they're stick not to talking hotline. to a person. Yeah.
1: No, no, I want people to call in. Maybe when we go switch to video. We're doing our streaming show. We're going to a stretch to a daily streaming morning show. <laughs> it's co- Didn't Dave try that on Dopey and it just sort of petered out? Not exactly. He didn't do it the way I wanted him to. He had a different <laughs> idea. I said, I think you should do it this one. He said, I can. not I said, okay, we'll see so if it works. So you've been uh, doing the Sober Together app? Yeah, I, uh, I've been enjoying the Sober Together app. Uh, not a sponsor, but we're actually getting a lot out of this. And as I start building the RMA recovery program in my mind, because that's what I'm doing, I'm trying to put this all together because mm-hmm. I feel like we're really growing a, an interesting ecosystem of recovery and support and all of these little pieces are kind of it more like a petri dish Yeah, I love it and it's it's starting to crystallize and um, <laughs> and so one of the things I really like about the new like where I'm going with the RMA recovery program is this sober together is like the perfect way to get the sharing uh, and reaching out and personal touch of a re- like a meeting, uh, but it's on your phone and, you know, it's it's a lot easier if you so- have social anxiety like myself um, or don't want to, you know, aren't comfortable in front of a real person. So I've been enjoying it. So let me get this straight. You yeah. want to steal Dan's I- idea? <laughs> I mean, we would probably white label his app or something. Or, <laughs> no, we were just working together, but like... You know, something like that. I enjoy it. It's a, I don't know, I don't do it exactly the way they want you to. You um, don't answer the question of the day, I noticed. Yeah, because I, I'm too busy. I'm like, as soon as I see it, I hit the button, I do a quick thing, and then I'm back to it. Like last night, I was like, shit, I forgot to do my check-in. So, I was in the middle of 10 things out here. I ran into my bedroom. I did it. And a minute into it, my wife's like, no, nah, nah. I'm like, <laughs> what? I'm doing my fucking thing. So, it's very hard for me to get like time where i can focus on it but i do it it's like something that keeps me grounded and i love to see everybody else's so i watch, i watch all your check-ins and
0: oh, you do oh yeah <laughs> and like i should have watched them back to back because they're all like this hi it's nat um i'm really busy today i'm pulling my hair out everything's crazy uh okay
1: talk to you tomorrow like every day yeah. it's like it's like this, I barely you barely post it. the same one. Well, <laughs> oh, i barely get it in i'm like uh, so <laughs> um, sorry about that, but no, uh, they're good. I, I, I appreciate
0: can, you tagging me in every single one of your check-ins because then I feel obligated to watch it to get the little one out of my yes. inbox.
1: Well, yours so. are great. You know, a couple. I watched a few of yours, and I'm like, I'm feeling you know insecure about my shares because I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, this guy's actually putting good stuff out there. You're <laughs> thinking, you're making comments about you know what you're feeling and how you're doing. You know so. what I do? I do it first thing in the morning when yeah. I
0: wake up, which is like five in the morning. Yep. Nobody's around except the dog. And the dog sits in my lap, and we do the fucking thing.
1: I like that. See, I've done it a couple times with my kids in the den, and I'm standing in a Yeah, I can't (laughs) do that. I think I showed Max in one of them. I'm like, Max is like, Daddy! (laughs) (laughs) We can't get any time, but it works for me, and I think, uh, yeah, it's great, and we're on there. It's not a huge community yet, you know, so it's pretty intimate, and uh, there is a guy with an Australian accent. Yeah, Aaron. if you like to hear Aaron's that, Aaron's fucking awesome. He's got such he's such a glowing like recovery like just it feels good to watch this guy share. He's uh, if you want to know what he's doing this week, <laughs> he's he's camping with
0: his son. I love it. Yeah, it's great. He's given like little updates from uh, from the tent. You know, that's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Did I, you I get def- him on I the want, show. I want to. I, I do. I was thinking about that. Like, there are some people on that app that are really interesting. Yeah, you know, I would love, and I know we usually don't do like people to come on and tell their story but maybe, maybe we could do that every once in a while it might i be mean a good
1: thing the show is a living thing like the english language it changes it grows with usage and how people need it so yeah i think that would be cool yeah all right so uh so but anything else going on in your life that you want to talk about
3: before um, we
0: drift into the lawyers and fucking yeah. shit
1: yeah i took a um oh uh No, I don't. There's nothing. Um, (laughs) Really? I took Noah to Micro Center. uh, I love that story. So if you guys out there, you know, like what is Micro Center? How do you describe Micro Center to someone who doesn't know what it is? It's like what? It's like a CompUSA store from like the 90s when
0: you could go to a big box store and buy like computers and stuff. It's like almost like that or like a circuit, you know, melded with a circuit city because they have like, You can all the stuff you can build a computer. Mm -hmm. They have like printers, they have monitors, they have, you know, 3D printers. It's like Valhalla for like nerds and computer guys. There's audio stuff there. There is, yeah. There's like um, creator content, like production stuff. Uh, It's really, you can drop a lot of money in that place. It's amazing.
1: And so, my son, if you guys have listened to the show, you know, he's not like a straight ahead, you know, like sports kid type of thing. He's more like me and Mike. He's into, like, technology, music, arts, 3D printing, all of that stuff. Audio, he does his own little streaming show and stuff. Mm. And uh, th- this is, like, taking him there. It was, like, bringing him to Mecca, you yeah. know? Yeah. He's like, can I go to Micro Center? He heard about it or something. It was a rumor. <laughs> I was, okay, we can go. And so we went there, and I got, I got some funny pictures of him with, like, just a wall of different 3D printer filament, you yeah. know? And they have this, he's going to build a computer that his next computer will build. And uh, it's just a really cool shop. It's fun to walk around with him. And we've been really bonding lately, Noah and I. Uh, he's taking these drum lessons, mm-hmm. which I've always wanted to really learn drums, like from a real teacher. Yeah. So I'm watching Noah. I come into the lesson, and I sit there too, and I sort of play along with air drums. <laughs> And this teacher, he's awesome. This drum professor, he's just like a cool, like old jazz guy. He's in his like, 50, he's in his sixties. He's not that old, but he's very like, he's very cool, and he's good with Noah. And Noah's getting good at the drums. That's great. And we started jamming a little bit because I got him um, one of these electronic drum sets. Mm-hmm. And like, he's starting a band with the neighbor Maddie. Nice. She came over, set up her guitar, and they were like writing a song. So oh, cool. It's really, it's really cool to see him, uh, you know, do this and. Um, you know max has been really great um we had a super busy weekend man it was like the pinewood derby that's what i wanted Ah, to bring up yes the pinewood derby and this is it if we talk about nothing else the pinewood derby um if it's a cub scout thing i think they do it globally oh yeah Uh, you carve up a car and paint it and then you start with a block of wood and then you turn it into a car into magic yeah um and so that was all day you know nine to twelve his car did horribly um, which was really depressing, you know. And I remembered that's exactly how it went for me. <laughs> and my wife's like, don't tell him that's what... And my dad said the same thing. He goes, well, tell him that's what happens to, uh, to, to us on our side of the family. We don't ever win Pinewood Derbies, you know. <laughs> and then my wife's like, don't tell him that. But I'm just trying to commiserate. Uh, but still, he had a, a good time, I think. And then a basketball game at three, and then microcenter with Noah. And it was yeah, just, it's a busy day, you know. I'm out of the Pinewood Derby finally. Do you miss it?
0: Uh, yes and no. I mean, I did it through two kids through yeah. Cub Scouts, so it was like I have like ten of those cars, like ten years and worth you have of cars. All
1: this stuff. Like I was uh, texting you about something with the car, and you're like, listen. I got all kinds of shit I'm like I got everything (laughs) One thing I didn't have
0: Was the saw Because I broke my band saw Like
1: we should have gone yeah. over because that wedge that they give you because yeah. we didn't cut it ourselves because we suck. Right, uh, it sucks. You know, we put yeah. the weight on it's it. Hard, he, it's hard to balance yeah, it out. So Ben
0: won the whole thing once. What? Yeah, he won the won the pack thing once, and then that's awesome. I we both lost interest after that because yeah. we're like, you know, once you win, yeah, who cares? I mean, who cares? I, you know, at that point, you should
1: just go for design. But this is wonky Boy Scout shit. So right, like it, it was like Mike Tyson in his prime. That was like you. You're like, why am I even fighting? That's the point <laughs> for money. But I don't, you don't get it money for winning the Pinewood Derby
0: yeah Just still munchkins
1: um, besides that you know there was one thing that came up uh, between my wife and I that I am NOT going to share on the show but I was talking to I started to use the discord a little bit more mm-hmm. you know because I'm starting to build my own recovery support with uh, all of the awesome monksters and I'm starting to really utilize it and we have a relationship section yes and every time I have an issue with my relationship I'm like, should I post something? I'm like, I really need support here. I want to hear other people's opinions, but I'm like, maybe I shouldn't. Um, Any case, I did, and I got some very good um, support and advice, and I really appreciate it. Um, So, got to get on the Discord to to hear about it. If you want to read about next relationship problems, it'll cost you three bucks a month. Yeah, but but the point (laughs) was getting that support. You know, sometimes it's not like there's a solution, no one's going to give you the answer. It's just the person listening, right? And uh, and so that was really great. What about you? Acceptance is always a solution. Yes, that's true.
0: Um, but not to be, you know, don't don't get walked on. But accept. Except. I'm not big on acceptance, man. I, I'm big on not being able. I'm big on accepting the things that I cannot
1: change and changing the things you can.
0: Yeah, less less with that one. And do you have no. the wisdom to know the difference? <laughs> well, that that's where the problem is, right? Hmm. Trying to trying to suss out which which things are within your control and which right. things are not, and sometimes that is not clear and sometimes the things that you're expecting from other people are not the things that they want to give you at the time and you have to be okay with that and you have to realize that maybe that's one of the things that you can't change right I'm speaking in real generalities but you know that that's a lesson that over the last year or so I'm, I'm really trying to internalize because I was very like into the idea that my way of thinking was the correct way of thinking Mm -hmm. and that if people were not thinking like me, then they were not, you know, doing the correct thing and Mm -hmm. that I realized like that's just egotism on my part or egoism Right. and that I need to let go of that because people have very different ways of looking at life. They come from different backgrounds. They have different life experience and it's not my life experience and maybe my life experience is really fucking weird because (laughs) I'm reading the book The Addicted Lawyer and I'm like, well, that guy basically lived my life.
1: Yeah yeah
0: or vice versa you know and and i'm like nope like my wife the people i deal with at work none of them come from a background like that right they're like normal people they don't know they don't know what you've <laughs> right. been through so if anything like the way that i think about everything is the exact opposite of the way things should be done yeah you know so i don't know who the fuck am i to like be thinking that people should be behaving the way i want them to think and, and it's 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 given me so much like inner peace lately. Right. Like my wife is like, "What's wrong with you?" Like <laughs> <'cause> I, <laughs> why are you so her peaceful? Big hug and kiss now and I'm all like, you know, and I think she thinks I'm like I'm trying <laughs> to hide <laughs> something. <high>. Yeah. <laughs> like, <Here. laughs> But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I just, I needed to share that because like I've been feeling, and I, I, some of that I think is from the Sober Together app because I'm talking through yes. stuff that I never, you know, not going to AA meetings and just talking to you is great, but like I, There's you know, nothing this little like question it. of the day, this yeah. little back and forth with other people, it's really uh, having to sit down and talk about what's going on in your mind is mm-hmm. really worthwhile. And I know I'm preaching to the, a bunch of people that have been vomiting
1: this shit out in AA meetings yeah. for
0: years. But like, to me, like
1: this was I, new for you.
0: I mean, well, you I mean, never I did, had that experience. I, I, even in, when I was in AA, like the, the meetings I was in, in the nineties were like, not really conducive to that level, yeah. you know? So this, this step, this one removal from like face to face contact, even though it's just sort of like video to video contact. It's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. It really is. And I all kudos to Dan and, and I don't know Dan's last name, but M, I think. Dan M <laughs> for for and, and whoever else helped create that app because anyway. I digress. But Yes. You digest. I, I digress. We haven't done a whole hell of a lot, uh, the last over the last week. We we're just trying to get our shit back yeah.
1: from Christmas and it's, it's happening, though. I feel like we're, we're getting into a rhythm. The shows are getting better. We're, we're in season Oh, yeah. No, three. I meant me personally. And like, you personally? And
0: my family, like, just... Well, it's reflect we in the show. So yeah. I went out to Target Rock on Sunday. Do you mm-hmm. know where that is? No. So do you know where Comset is? Yes. So if you keep driving on the road past Comset, there is a little federal wildlife area called oh. Target Rock. Cool. And Erin and I went, no kids. And, you know, I, I'm always, like, after her to, like, go go out and walk around, usually as an excuse for me to lug my camera around and okay. take pictures, which I'm sure she finds incredibly boring. But uh, but we went out there and we had a nice walk in the woods and I, I found a seal. I took pictures of seal oh, and nice. some birds and stuff. And it was really a, good, a nice mental recharge, um, you know. And, and, you know, what I realized is like, I don't need four hours of hiking through the woods, which is what I think I need. Right. What I really need is just like an hour or, or half an hour of walking in the woods and sort of forest bathing, as they call it. Yeah, I, I could use you know, that. You just <laughs> get a little of the. Yeah, it's, huh. there's a word for it, like Shinrikyo or something. But it's like you you basically ground yourself in the earth and you bathe yeah. in the forest. And we heard some owls hooting, and it was really
1: something. That's that, you know, now, I, I got to do that. You know, I got some of that last thing I'll talk about before we talk about the book. But we went to the planetarium. Yeah, that's I love what that I wanted place. to talk about. <clears throat> so that was my forest bathing, if you can call it that. <clears throat> uh, on Long Island, there is a, a Vanderbilt Planetarium and Natural History Museum, which is very much not known. Uh, a lot of people don't even know that it's there. I know, and they just got a new planet. And by the way, a planetarium is the machine, not the not dome. The dome. Uh, that's okay. a, that's a little bit of trivia. That's I didn't know that they pointed out, you know. They think there's so And it's in
0: Vanderbilt's Cornelius Vanderbilt's old Gold Coast Long yes. Island mansion.
1: It's and they've turned it into a museum and there's like he's got a mummy from Egypt with like the bill of sale and it was like You should probably give that back. Yeah, I, we were questioning the guy there that was talking about it and he's got all cagey, he was weird. <laughs> we're like, is this legal? Like, you know. And uh and they have like a giant whale shark, you know, and just like museum of natural history. They got a whole it's full of indan- dead endangered yeah animals stuffed (laughs) completely stuffed too for your enjoyment but the planetarium was so important to me growing up this particular planetarium like my parents would take me there Mm -hmm. and I just loved it I loved science uh I loved learning I loved the universe and this was everything to me just to be in that and so for me my son Max is a lot like I was in that way Mm -hmm. and I'm like He didn't think he wanted to go to the... I'm like, trust me, you want to do this. You're going to love it. And it was awesome. We had Mm. such a great time. And it was my parents and both of my kids. And, you know, they've been getting along great. But, yeah, that was great. And that was for me, like... Because you get to walk around outside. You walk the grounds. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just took me back to who I feel like I, I really am. You know, this, like, curious person and you know i love to do that stuff so trying to get back to that stuff like going into the forest doing your hobbies you know it's yeah. huge it's so hard to make time but you have to I'm make the time that
0: because you know you are you are worth you know the effort of making the time for
1: you you're know? worth it monsters yeah. make
0: time do the things you love yeah. Those museums are funny though, like that, that were created back way back when we went up to Boston for a couple of days over the, over the break and went to the Harvard natural history museum, which is in this old building on the Harvard campus. And inside is, uh, all the, st- like a- every animal you can imagine that has been killed and stuffed yeah. by like Teddy Roosevelt or whoever else wandered through South America and, uh, just, you know, put these things in a case. Yeah. But,
1: Elephant feet was in Vanderbilt's. Uh, yeah.
0: You know, yeah like, he had spittoons made out of <laughs> elephants' feet, you know. <laughs> how, how times have changed, yeah. you know. Oh, now Liz is going to be mad because I went up to Boston and I didn't call her, but mm-hmm. it was only up mm-hmm. for a
1: day and a half. So. Sorry, Liz. Uh, yeah. Next time, we got to do a Monster meetup. I'm planning a retreat in my head for next year. Yeah. I'm putting it off a bit. We should so do it. I time. mean,
0: there's some people are getting together in Florida. Assuming. Yeah. The
1: Monsters have been doing meetups. Um, which is really cool And so At some point I will, We'll do a Like a retreat Where we can Nature bathe Or whatever <laughs> What is it Forest bathing Forest bathing Yeah Drum oh, yeah. circles The works Yeah And Uh, Why don't we take a short break And be Right We'll be right back, back After These words, words. And we're back. And
0: we're back. Apparently on a wholly other um, file on the machine. I don't know what the fuck. Whatever.
3: Mm -hmm. That's
0: just, it just makes life complicated.
1: Anyway, so what are we doing today? So today we're going to talk about, you know, after last week's Nothing Burger, we thought, man, we better do something because on this show, we really like to dig into books and ideas and things like that. And uh, this was a book. I think we had both been interested in I had read it earlier, and I think I had mentioned it to you. Hey, you got to read this. This is about you. You know, yeah. it's called The Addicted Lawyer, and it's written by Brian Cuban, who is um, Mark Cuban, the famous. Uh, I guess he's a billionaire, owner of the Mavericks, and um, he's pretty public uh, for a number of reasons. And so this is his uh, his older or younger brother. I don't remember. Younger brother. He's, he's younger the brother. he's the middle brother of three. And he's had an addi- he has an addiction story, and he you know talks about um, how lawyers are more addicted than others and that sort of thing. So that's the book we are doing today.
0: Yeah, an interesting book. Um, a lot of it resonated with me, and I'll, I'll explain some of that in a few minutes. But um, just to sort of set the stage, I mean, Brian Cuban wrote this book in 2017. He'd been sober like, I don't know, like 10 years or something like that uh, when he wrote the book. Um, he is still a successful lawyer. He's an author. He actually wrote a book, uh, a fictional story that seems loosely based on his own life that came out a couple of years ago. Um, but, uh, you know, he he basically, he just talks about his own journey through addiction and recovery. He offers uh, some insights uh, into, um, uh, you know, how he navigated his way through his legal career uh, while still being addicted to cocaine and stuff. He discusses uh, the unique pressures and challenges faced by people who are in the legal profession. And he gives some strategies for managing stress and for finding help. Um, you know, some, in some sense, the book was written for the general public. I guess there's some period interest in him because he's yeah. the brother of a billionaire. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so his and his story is certainly interesting, um, but I think the larger reason that he wrote this book was to sort of get uh, to destigmatize addiction within the legal profession generally and within law schools, and um, sort of make a plea to people in the in the professional community to. Um, not whole drug and alcohol abuse issues against practitioners and against law students, which is huge. Because, yeah, that because was, there is a big stigma in the, in that community. Yeah, um, you know he he starts the book off with his early years as a law student when he started. Struggling with addiction and mental health issues, although his issues really go back further into his childhood. He was always—he had struggled with his weight. He was always very heavy as a kid. He got picked on a lot. Yeah. um, And he started using drugs and alcohol to fit in
1: uh, amongst his peers in in high school. Yeah, he lists a— a cavalcade of um, things that he was reporting he was like addicted to at the beginning of the book. I thought it was interesting and it kind of, it kind of paints the picture of the issues he was having. He struggles with alcohol, you know, crack cocaine and steroids and eating disorder. And, and so you get this picture of a, the way he describes himself is an overweight child who was being fat shamed by his family friends mm-hmm. and, and how he felt and so this addictive uh, personality that, you know, I guess was uh, a soothing reaction to the, uh, how he felt inside, and it sort of develops from there. Um, yeah, what's interesting to me is that he, he really describes himself as probably the least suited person to become a lawyer.
0: Right. Um, one, one part of the book, he talks about how he took the Myers-Briggs personality test and how he came back as like, I don't know, there's like a, a, a different kind of axis and you're you're like four things in that test and and uh you know he came back as introverted, uh non confrontational, you know, basically the antithesis of what you he's would a B want to be is a well, I, I don't like alpha, beta. I, I really dislike that categorization. Yeah. Um yeah, type he's not a type A. Right. Right. And and he really never likes the idea of going going to the idea of going to court with like terrify him yeah. because he hates confrontation and he also really is a, 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 a
1: empathetic to like his clients and yeah you know he becomes a lawyer to sort of live up to um these standards that he feels like has been placed on him like he's not successful he feels like he won't be looked upon favorably by his family and friends, if he's not this, and he goes, you know, being a lawyer, that's it, you know, that was his ticket. Well, and, and I think he, like so many of us that went to law school, he just sort of fell into it, because he didn't know what else to do,
0: right, you know, seems like, like he, a great job, he didn't have any particular drive, uh, you know, he didn't want to be a lawyer ever since he was a little kid, like, you know, and that was kind of how I got into it, too, I mean, I just sort of fell into it, because, my wife decided that after years of being a paralegal, she wanted to go to law school, and she went. And then I was like, well, you know, I, I can't just not be a lawyer if my wife's a lawyer. I may as well just go to law school because, you know, I'm finishing up my college degree finally. I I took the LSAT, I got a decent uh, grade, and I just sort of went with it. And it's not like I had any burning desire to be a, to be a lawyer. That's my mother's exact
1: story. My yeah. father became a lawyer, and she was a teacher, and she's, he said something. She goes, maybe I'll be a lawyer. And he goes, Psh, you're not going to be a lawyer. You're, you know, like a woman. Like, what are you, oh. nuts? And she goes, oh, yeah. And she graduated law school pregnant with me. But it was that same kind of competitive. And she's got the same opinion about law. Like, she doesn't love it. She just kind of did it.
0: Yeah. And and that's the case with, with Brian Cuban. I mean, he was at the same time trying to manage what, what was really a, a huge cocaine addiction. Right. You know. and And you know, his story is really parallel to mine in a lot of ways. Like I was also fat shamed. I was a fat kid. You know, I didn't have a lot of friends. I started getting into drugs and alcohol to make friends and to be more social. And in my case, it worked. I got plenty of friends, you know, who would hang out and do drugs and alcohol with me and drink with me. Um, You know, and, and, but like, so I stopped doing like, you know, I had a a year, you know, a couple years of crack running, like in the late 80s early 90s and then I stopped that and I had a couple of years of sobriety and then mm-hmm. that's when I sort of went decided to go to law school I had been like had my shit together and I went um he was getting like worse and worse and then yeah. he went to law school and he did you know partied all through law school but the the wheels really started coming on the off the bus when he graduated from University of Pittsburgh law school hopped on a bus uh, with 500 bucks in his pocket and moved down to Dallas cuz that's where his brothers were living yep. at
1: the time. He went to be around uh, Mark who was yeah. uh, who was successful
0: and gregarious and everything and he ended up working for Mark's company but only packing computers into boxes and yep. shipping them out. He didn't have he it took him 3 times to pass the Texas bar yeah. because all he would do he he was working these sh- shitty jobs like his first job down there was like working for the city of Dallas like but, um Buying easements for the city right. that they could run their sewage pipes through or whatever, and and I'm like, well, when I got out of law school, I took a job for the city of New York, you mm-hmm. know, in their tort division, and it was the work was a little more uh, litigation, you know, and yeah. and I realized that I didn't love litigation from the beginning, but I was kind of I felt like I was stuck on that path, so I started drinking like like right. a fish when I got out of law school, um, and in law school, but um, but then the, the the blow started up again a little bit because yeah. I was kind of like.
1: You know, makes things interesting. I don't know. Sometimes if you're in yeah. that, you're like, you got to change something about your brain, change something about yourself. Yeah, because deal like with how you're feeling.
0: It was, it was. The legal profession is alternatively boring and terrifying. Right. Right. Like, I, I sit in a room and I can depose somebody for three hours, and I was good at my job. You know, I was, I was, I guess, I was very high functioning. Um, but I didn't necessarily like it. And then I'd have to go into court. And when I went into court, I was like terrified of being in court because I'm I'm like fresh out of law school and I'm arguing motions against guys that have been out of school for 20 years. Right. And they can smell the blood in the water. <laughs> yeah. And it's like not a position that I really love to be in. Um, they see you coming a mile away. But I started getting, I started realizing that I liked going to court with a hangover because I wouldn't be as like, um, I wouldn't be as, Anxious, like Mm. I would have normal anxiety from hangovers, right? But at the same time, like I could argue emotion and I wouldn't, it would be like almost like I was out of my own head, you know what I mean? So, like, Like, gave you a little bit of consciousness was altered a little bit. But, um, so I'm going to play a quick excerpt from the book that's a little germane to, to this situation. So, here we go. Being high functioning was a blessing and a curse. In my mind, I needed no help. I showed up to court sober. I did cocaine only in the bathroom of the firm or on my office desk with the door closed when I had no appointments. It provided just the pickup I needed sometimes, and it all made perfect sense to me. I viewed my law firm bathroom slash coke breaks as almost a performance enhancer that would allow me to do my job better.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah.
0: mm-hmm. i can relate yeah i i know for the record i never did uh cocaine <laughs> while i was working mm-hmm. um but afterwards was a different story but um you know i haven't i haven't done coke in like 20 years now and uh but it, it that kind of like ended it when 9-11 happened yeah and Cause you yeah. couldn't get your guy on the phone no or no something. it or wasn't that I just, I just changed your perspective yeah i just changed my perspective my drinking accelerated quite a bit after right. nine eleven. but anyway he gets out of Law school. He does this work for the city of Dallas. Then he goes on to work for a couple insurance companies. And the and the one insurance company he worked for was like Trans Union or something, hmm. where he would um, go around, fly around the country, mediate cases. Do a, that's the Adjust- job I have right
1: now. Is he was that the adjuster job? Is he, that what that is? He had is? two
0: adjuster jobs. Yeah. One he worked for it was like mostly low level soft tissue auto accidents, and then he went to work for the one it was much larger cases that were in litigation. So that it's just what you're doing. It's what, I, it's what I do now. <laughs> I just. You know, he did that, and then he went into litigation after that. I did litigation, and then I went into that. So it's like the mirror image, (laughs) career-wise. Wow. Um, And, you know, it it is a blessing and a curse to be high-functioning, you know? Because, like, you can, if you're doing a really good job, and I've done a great job in my career, I've gotten promoted, I, you know, do very well— you know you
1: the urgency to to stop is not there right cuz things have and that's one of the reasons they tell you you need a rock bottom because <clears throat> they they say this all the time when you know you're trying to help someone but like things are going too well for them they don't have that reason it's very hard to tell somebody who seemingly their job is going well, you know, nothing has, nothing has hit the fan necessarily. Right. So why should they change, you know, and it's very hard. But as those things start to go downhill, mm-hmm. it, they still, you start, I'll speak for myself, I would begin, you know, convincing it wasn't that bad or making until it was so bad, there was no way I could, you know, I'd be in handcuffs, you know, so it's hard to get somebody high functioning to uh, take a look at what they're doing. It is, and and it's
0: one of the reasons why I have a really hard time accepting like an AA paradigm of addiction because my experience is not, it's a continual slide into the basement of bottoms. Uh, My experience was there were times when I was very bad and then there were times that I could reel it in and I could function for years as a high-functioning person that drank way too much alcohol, right? right? But it it wasn't like a, a straight line from left to right, going down. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like you know, like I said, I, I haven't done cocaine in twenty years. Um, and then I realized when my son was born that the amount of drinking that I was doing, I could not continue that. So what I did was I, I basically self-medicated myself to a place where I could get by with only drinking a certain amount at certain times. Talk about torture! Jesus. Yeah, it was. It was torture. It was. It was constantly in my head trying to figure out like, like during a weekday when I had, you know, I'm home with the kids, it's never more than X. And I was able to hang on to that because I knew the weekend would come eventually and the weekend. I would have more time so I could drink
1: more. Wow. And you know,
0: and, Eventually, you just get fucking sick of that.
1: Yeah, it's like your whole life is revolving around. And I was there, too. Believe me, it was yeah. meeting dealers and all of that. Yeah. And it's such a nightmare. So he's going, starting yeah. to see that in his life. I mean, but, my dealer was every every corner liquor store bar, yeah. right? I mean, there's plenty of dealers of alcohol around. They're all over the place. Everywhere. Yeah. Chuck E. Cheese. I say this all the time. Chuck you cheese. can go to Chuck E. Cheese's with your kids, and they've got a tap behind the counter. It's unbelievable. Mark
0: Cuban, though, got to the point where things started going Brian. really oh yeah, sorry, <laughs> I don't want to get sued. <laughs> uh, he started getting th- to the place where he, it wasn't really, he wasn't able to cover it up anymore. He was right. doing so much cocaine. Yeah, you know? just and,
1: like me. I, I feel like, you know, I have the same kind of story as well. Like, yeah. I was,
0: you know, good until it wasn't. You know? Yeah, I mean, cocaine will ruin you, yeah. man. Like, and, and you know, I remember, I've told the story in the podcast before. Like, I was a freshly minted lawyer at the city. I had my little city badge mm-hmm. as a city attorney, and I was in in my suit, in a bar in brooklyn trying to score coke and um at this bar called Cokies, and um the cops tnt comes in and pulls me out i'm the only one sitting in there at like 4:30 on a tuesday yeah. <laughs> pulls me out i had just gotten the number because they're like no we don't sell out behind the bar anymore but here's the number for you and he gave me the number i put it in my hand Fucking TNT comes in, pull me out, put me up against the wall. They're like, open your hand, open your hand. They thought I had like a bag in there. right? And they look and they see that number and they're like, what are you going to do with that number? Are you going to call that number? And I'm like, no. Of course not. No, officer. I'm filing it. <laughs> I pull out the badge and they're like... Uh, Counselor, you re, you, yeah. you shouldn't be hanging out in this what bar you and do? you you know what you're doing here, you know, and they, no. they just let me go. Wow. But you know, if that if I had called that guy and he had met me there and he'd given me the bag and then TNT had hit the door, yeah, I would not be a, yeah. I would not have a license today. You yeah, know? you'd be in deep shit. And that was the kind of thing that scared me off the off the
3: the coke
1: yeah i mean the laws are very strict but it's easy to forget that stuff one of the comments he makes like he was buying tons of coke oh yeah and he only like sort of flippantly mentions that he thought of you know that it's illegal right you know and i just thought back to when i was i was never dealing with that much you know but i rarely thought about if i get caught i will be in jail for this long if i get caught with what i have in my pocket I will have this consequence. Yeah, I, you was, never, you never think like you that, you know. And uh, even empty baggies of heroin in under your seat or something. I used to have that shit all over my car. Yeah. And uh, my dealer's like, "You just leave that shit there. If you get pulled over, you're fucked." I'm like, "Oh, thanks, buddy." And uh, <laughs> legal they, advice from the heroin yes, dealer. Yes, he was right though. <laughs> I cleaned it up.
0: But uh, yeah. Well, one, the other thing I like about the book is that he he not only talks about his own story, which is pretty crazy, you know, like like for example, like. You know, he got all the when the Mavs were in the were in the uh, championship for the first time, he got tickets from from Mark and instead of like going to see the game with those tickets, like I guess he 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 could see the game from Mark's box, but he also had the ability to purchase tickets for the playoffs and he bought them and then traded them to his cocaine dealer for like giant
1: bags of coke. Yeah. And then he took the coke. This is the this drove me insane reading this before you go on. This yeah. is like addiction horror for an addict <laughs> yeah. like me.
0: So he gets, the, he gets this big bag of Coke for, for two tickets to the playoffs. He takes it home. He snorting a little of it. Then he decides he needs to hide it. So he breaks it up into three bags. He goes to like he gets Home paranoid. Depot. Yeah. He goes to Home reason. Depot. He buys a bunch of like switch plates and, uh, and like a bandsaw, and he cuts holes in his drywall, and he yeah. installs the cocaine like behind a phony like electrical outlet. <laughs> he really goes out of his way. Yeah. Then he's thinking about it, and he's like, he's horrified, and he goes and collects all the coke and flushes it flushes it down, the, it toilet. down the toilet. He's <laughs> fucking idiot. And then does the same thing again. <laughs> again two days later. He's like, why did I flush all that coke? I'm a he's moron. So he goes and he buys it. Does the puts it behind the thing, takes it out of the thing and flushes it down the toilet again. Uh, I'm like, there's a guy who's, who's kind of reaching the end of his rope, you know? I
1: never got that crazy. Like, that is a lot. That's yeah. fucking, and the dealer kept keeps showing up. He's like, I got more tickets for this guy. <laughs> yeah. And so he's just hiding in his hotel room, you know? being paranoid and flushing thousands of dollars in cocaine down the toilet. Yeah, that was that was bad. So he was having a rough go of it. You know, I mean, but-
0: those stories are great, but then he also sort of interspaces those with stories about other people in the legal profession that he reached out to when he quit himself. And then right. he started working in the uh, recovery uh, field, uh, trying to help other attorneys or people in the legal
1: profession. And he includes a lot of their stories mm.
0: in the book as well.
1: Yeah, and Joseph Nows was uh, whose book we did had on the show was also um, in those special groups. He was talking about those addicted lawyer yeah. support groups, uh,
0: right? So, exactly. the, so they exist, but but there is a huge stigma in the legal profession because legal people who go into this line of work are typically your type A, aggressive, self starter, grinders, people who will work, try and outwork everybody else, and uh, it's also an extremely competitive. field. So if people smell any blood in the water, like they know that you've got a problem, call them sharks for a reason. I mean, they'll just, you know, it's not, it's not reaching out and getting help. Most people, lawyers don't do it because they're afraid of the stigma in the profession, despite the fact that, you know, everybody says, okay, you know, lawyers have a terrible rate of drug and alcohol abuse. And you think, well, so did accountants. So does everybody else. Lawyers are, are three times more likely than the general population. To have addiction, and this is self-reporting, and most lawyers probably under-report, so the figure is probably even higher, which is twice more than surgeons, uh, and you know significantly higher than the general population but they're the least likely to seek help of
1: all the professions because
0: huh. of the stigma attached to it so yeah even
1: less than doctors because at least doctors are you know medical adjacent like they're in that medical system but
0: that's a plus and a minus because you also have access to opiates yeah. and stuff
1: yeah yeah but uh, the lawyers you're supposed to, you can't be breaking the law you know you're supposed to be this you know well rigorous. believe it or not
0: and people can joke about this all they want but rigorous honesty is one of the pillars of the legal profession like you are AC, you're <laughs> yeah. laughing but 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 you also, but you have a code of ethics, and if you violate the code of ethics and the the bar finds out about it, they'll yeah. just toss your ass right out. Yeah, you know, even if you,
1: if you do something unbecoming to the, the legal profession or something, yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah,
0: although that's really what'll get you thrown out is stealing clients' money, right? Don't touch You're taking the money out of your escrow account, yeah. and you know, people do that because when they get addicted to drugs the first place they <laughs> go is the client's escrow yeah, account because that's where the money
1: is $1000 sitting yeah. in this account why not you're in control
0: those are the people that get disbarred and tend not to get their licenses mm-hmm. back you know so it would be better for the legal profession and for all professions to reduce the stigma around drug and alcohol use to Put mechanisms into place where you can reach out to an employee assistance program or a bar association program or something along those lines mm-hmm. to get help before you're dipping into your client's escrow. Uh, yeah.
1: Money. Yeah, I mean that that that's it could be wishful thinking and I think how this works is when somebody well known in the legal profession has to like come out as, you know, um a recovered addict or something, you know, the the whole paradigm has to change and uh that's not easily done. No. I mean a lot
0: of people don't want to be lawyers and when they become lawyers it causes them all kinds of internal mental yeah. problems and contradictions. And that leads to a lot of drug use and alcohol abuse, you know? So the, he interviewed somebody who is um on a law school admissions committee. And when someone approaches them to say that they have a drug or an alcohol problem after they've been at school a little while, mm. her first question to them is, do you want to be a lawyer? And she waits for the answer. And if if the answer is immediate, like, yes, I've always wanted to be a lawyer, then okay, mm. you know, that, that she takes them down one... Uh, road towards getting help, but if they say if they hesitate or they they you know don't say right away that that's what they want, then she thinks there's something else going on, and mm-hmm. they, and they go down. You know that, those are the people she suggests take a break, mm-hmm. reevaluate, get some help, and then if they want to come back, to come back. So, I think there's an awful lot of people out there who really don't want to be lawyers that just go. Yeah. To law school
1: <laughs> <laughs> but like you can do tons of stuff in business maybe what they don't know is with put a jd with a juris doctorate from law school you can do plenty of uh business related stuff you don't have to pass the bar and practice law see everybody always says that but not that can true? you think of any jobs that, that the, for that 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 might be true for where you're not taking some kind of like legal counsel position yeah um I'm- I'm not sure. It would right. have to be like human resources <laughs> or something in an advisory capacity. Like Joseph Naus gets that. He's like advising on cop, but you're still doing legal work, but you're not practicing, right? Like that's the kind of jobs he gets before he passes the bar. But yeah. I guess you're still dealing with the law, so it's still something you don't really want or,
0: to do. I mean, you could go into insurance and kind of do what I do. I right. mean, I don't go to court and argue motions anymore. I don't practice law necessarily, yeah. but I but I. Use the skills that I learned in law school, mm-hmm. negotiation, mm-hmm. compromise, you know all that kind of stuff
1: just you know, as an entrepreneur,
0: it could be extremely it, advantageous if you just
1: knew the law that way yes you know? and
0: one thing law, law school does teach you is how to think in a certain way, how right. to take logical steps from a set of facts and draw conclusions from them, and then yeah. work off of that and that 's a good thing to have, I think, for anybody but yeah. um, but you know when I was looking to get out of litigation, uh, there was not a lot of alternative pathways that were clear to me
1: right you have to be creative and you know because a lot of it is just entrepreneurship or something where you just need a great idea or uh and that sort of thing so yeah so uh,
0: yeah it's it's a really interesting book and you know you get a lot there's a lot of good stories in there um you know one thing i found really interesting about his his life also was this whole orthoexia stuff like where he um I guess he call it exercise bulimia is what he had. So he would run right. fifteen or twenty miles a day.
1: Yeah. Every day. We see that a lot in addiction recovery memoirs, these guys who
0: yeah. ritual. I mean he he wouldn't call himself an ultramarathoner, but that's basically what he right. was, you know? And and you know, that's all a lot of that is tied up in like shame about body image right. and stuff, and it really is a manifestation of an eating disorder. And it kind of mm. got me thinking, like, is that really the basis of my own running and exercising and stuff. But, you know, I, I just don't have the
1: capacity to run 20 miles a day uh, or the time. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're doing great, you know, right yeah. now with your six miles a day, um, five, five miles. Yeah. I think you should up it to six <laughs> starting tomorrow. Sometimes I do too. Yeah. But, uh,
0: but like, But he went, he did that for years on end. I mean, it's definitely a compulsion at that point. There's definitely
1: compulsion to it, I think, you know, because when I was doing the running during the pandemic, I did it as an, like an escape, you know, even though I was running three miles Um, and I got uh, a little high off of it. So it could be a number of things. You definitely get high. Yeah, sure. You feel good. Uh, I used to say I felt like I just won the Super Bowl. I'd run three miles only around my block. Mm -hmm. I'd come home sweaty. I'm like, my family's watching TV. I'm like, ah, they're just watching TV. Here I am sweating. I'm feeling good. I'm like, I'm getting exercise. You know, So it's a very good feeling, and I guess that could be addictive too. And it's healthy.
0: Yeah, you're addicted to the endorphins, and there's also other stuff going on inside your head. I mean, uh, Cuban himself was saying that you know, there were t- periods in his life where all he would do would be, like, cocaine and drink and run 20 miles. Like, he just didn't want to be around other people. That's all he wanted to do. Right. So, it was, like, an isolating thing also.
1: And I know? think um, that was also in the uh, Finding Ultra uh, when Rick, oh, yeah, Rich Roll, Roll. Yeah. He said the same thing. Like, he's when he was getting into his ultra marathons, he was missing as much time doing that with his family than he did using. Yeah. Clearly, it was healthier, but... You know, if he's still, uh, you know, so if he's running away from responsibilities and intimacy with his family, that's not the best reason to, you know, do ultra marathons. Yeah. And, and what if you
0: can't, what if something happens, you get injured and you can't keep it, keep going, you know? Yeah. Then what? Then what do you
1: do? You yeah. start drinking again? It's your coping mechanism and all of a sudden it's taken away, you know? That's tough. So it's important to think about those things, you know, running is healthy and, and all of that. But it's always important to look at your motivations and why you're doing the things you're doing. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. If, if you get something out of a healthy activity that is distracting you from, you know, the uh, part X in your life, you know, I would say keep doing it, um, you know, within reason. But I like this book. I think this was a very, you um, it was entertaining. He's a sort of pseudo celebrity. And um, the story is definitely we can learn a lot from it. Yeah. Um, and so I recommend it. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up from <laughs> the monkster community. I mean, obviously, I, I
0: found it a bit more compelling yeah. just by virtue of you know the profession he's in and and how like some of his thought processes seem like they mirrored my own. Yeah, it's, it's a, I'm glad you know he seems to have adjusted well. He's he still does some legal work and he's like, but he's more like involved in helping other people in the profession
1: get help. Yeah, it which, sounds like you know. he's thrown himself into, you know, helping people and making sure people can learn from, you know, his experiences. Yeah. And um, it would be cool to, uh, to get, maybe we could get him on the show. Have two lawyers. We'll have a lawyer, Addicted Lawyer Roundtable. Joseph <laughs> Nows, you, and Brian Cuban. That would be interesting. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll drop him an email with a link to the show. Let's do Let's it. see if he's interested. Let's get him on. Because I
0: did notice on his webpage, like, it's like have Brian come talk to your thing, and I'm like, well, that probably costs some money. Oh yeah, yeah. So who yeah. knows what he wants? Ten thousand
1: dollars. <laughs> um, and okay, with that, I think we have a recovery in the news. Yeah, Are we you? do. I um,
0: I'm gonna put the sound, the the jingle. Oh shit! That was Why weird. Is my home phone, right, right here.
3: Oh,
1: wait, let me turn that. On.
0: Anyway, I'm gonna put the recovery in the news jingle right here.
1: Yeah, <laughs> recovery in the news. Recovery in the news.
3: Recovery. Recovery
1: in the news. Yeah, yeah. There's no way. You know, on second
0: shape. thought, I'm not gonna put it in. That
1: was terrible. <laughs> I'm just gonna leave <laughs> that. That's the thing. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> I don't know if I was in key. I couldn't remember the chord. Um, so recovery in the news. Recovery in the news. Uh. So there's been this
0: story going around. I first saw it on NBC News, um, a video from NBC News that says uh, that there's a unique program that offers hope for those with alcohol-related liver disease. Mm. Mm. Um, so there's a new program that was recently launched for liver. Okay. So this is from the inquirer.net. I don't think it's the national Enquirer. I think it's got more, um, credibility than that. But, uh, so it provides this new program provides individuals battling alcohol related liver disease, the chance to take control of their lives. Um, alcoholic liver disease, of course, is on the increase lately. It's claiming the lives of younger and younger people. Um, people in their twenties and thirties now are developing cirrhosis, Wow. And fatty liver and stuff. Um, That's not good. A 2018 study has revealed that the problem is getting a lot worse. Deaths from alcohol, alcoholic cirrhosis have been consistently rising since 2009, uh, and with the sharpest increase reported among those aged 25 to 34. And while it doesn't say it in the article, uh, I remember from reporting on this issue several months ago mm-hmm. that... Uh, the amount of women who are developing alcoholic liver disease cirrhosis uh, is really going crazy because um, women's livers are smaller and they can in theory handle less alcohol. So if they're drinking more, it's more destructive to their liver than if a guy mm. is doing it. Wow. Um, and of course you have the pandemic,
1: which increased, increased drinking. everyone's yeah. drinking and alcoholic um, liver disease. Um, Don't forget uh, alcoholic, you know, whipped cream is out there. Alcoholic ice cream. Oh yeah. Yeah. Boy, I love ice cream. Ice cream. With I love alcohol. Alcohol. So that's um, It's in everything.
0: Men have a my- higher mortality rate than women from cirrhosis, but um the annual rate for women grew faster at 37% compared Jeez. to 29%. So, um it's a complex issue, multiple potential factors. Um mm. you have the economic upheaval of the pandemic uh and um people are drinking just generally drinking more. Society, Or I should say that less people are drinking more because overall alcohol consumption is down amongst younger groups of people,
1: right? It seems to be cooler now to to be clean. It's like sober is the new black. You've got all of these celebrities. Who knows if they're really doing it, but at least it's being talked about. So that's interesting. So the people who are drinking are drinking more, (laughs) but there are less or uh, something maybe like... So there's a a liver specialist named Dr. Jessica Mellinger, Mm. who
0: is uh, at the University of Michigan Medical School, and they've developed sort of a multifaceted approach to treating alcoholic liver disease, which seeks to tackle the underlying addiction issues, which you would think had already been done. Mm. But I guess liver specialists treat liver disease. They don't treat alcohol use disorder,
1: right? Right. so. Uh, You'd think they'd know something about so, it. So they're
0: reporting on this as if it's like this incredible scientific breakthrough. <laughs> we just discovered. When really what it is 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 they, they—they their revolutionary liver disease treatment approach combines the expertise of both psychiatry and addiction specialists, wow. early results being highly encouraging. <laughs> so I mean, it, it, it sort of boggles the mind that this is the first time like
1: anybody's <laughs> taken these disciplines, put them together and use them to treat liver disease. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they don't talk to each other. These the disciplines, you know, there's no communication. It's like they don't read the articles. Um, it's, it's the, the, I'm <laughs> just I'm kind of blown away like the
0: positive results indicate that this approach might successfully prevent relapse in liver disease patients trying to recover from alcohol addiction. The multidisciplinary team is continually researching ways to help people with liver disease. They aim for patients to manage their conditions most effectively and reduce their risk of relapse. Am I nuts here by thinking this is just such a weird way of reporting? That they're taking a multidisciplinary approach to curing liver disease? Yeah. Like, it's it's like, uh, it's
1: news? (laughs) (laughs) It's almost, could they be that, like, myopic? Like, they're really just now, like, oh, wow. (laughs) Like, this is news. Yeah, so, oh, thank God they're getting there eventually, maybe. Um, Because I guess the previous
0: treatment of this this fellow, Dr. Henry Kranzler, the Benjamin Rush Professor of Psychiatry Mm. uh, at UPenn, believes this is what he believes that simply informing patients that they have liver disease and require the immediate cessation of drinking is not sufficient
1: no (laughs) they're just understanding this (laughs) yeah
0: there needs to be a real thoughtful and concerted plan he continued Uh, it's more motivating because it's more tangible than saying in a vague way that if you stop things will get better he also noted that the message to quit is more effective when the person sees scans of their liver
1: Yeah, here's your fucked up liver. Here it is. Drinking. Um, Yeah, the fact that they weren't already like bringing in recovery options or understanding that people, if they are at that stage of liver disease, probably they're not going to be able to just stop drinking that easily. Or maybe someone has already told them in the past that they need to stop. You think? Um,
0: It's just it's it's really strange to me. Uh, Or maybe this is just shitty reporting. And that people are just going off the NBC reporting, which mm. and there's more to this multiple, multiple, multiple disciplinary approach than just mm. you know tell, getting people to like an AA program yeah. or giving them medication. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what if you can really use a lot of medically assisted treatment if your liver's almost on the way out. Though that's nice. a good. And, you know, that's a
1: good point. Like, what kind of options? Uh, I guess you could take the Vivitrol shot Because it bypasses your liver Does it? Well, it's a shot you, you Doesn't you... everything go through the liver, though? The blood all goes through, goes through the liver, right? Yeah, but if you get this shot Somehow it's better for your liver Because okay. it doesn't get processed Now now, somebody, monsters out there <laughs> Correct any, me if I'm wrong Any
0: heptologists? Out, know, not herpetologists, those are snake people right? I
1: think that if you inject it Somehow this is better You know, It doesn't go directly through your liver uh, <laughs> Words of wisdom not a doctor. <laughs> Just FYI, I'm not a doctor. Yeah, we don't know, and don't inject anything, please. And that's recovery <laughs> in the news. Bing. Yeah, uh, that, I'm a one-trick pony today. I don't, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll just keep saying, yeah. That about does it for today.
0: I had a great time. Did you? Yes, and it's improved my mood immeasurably from when I began.
1: You should have seen this guy when he came in this morning. It was... I was bad. Heavens to Murgatroy. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So tweet us a twat. You twit. Support your favorite show. Drop a five-star review. Join our private Facebook group. Buy a t-shirt or simply write and say hello We love meeting new monsters and chopping it up on the Facebook group. But if you want a higher level of support uh, and get with the Patreon crew, it's patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages. And we are hanging out on there, recovering together, and we look forward to meeting you. And finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. You know somebody who might like this show, tell them about it. You know somebody who would enjoy it or maybe you want to Give them a subtle hint that they need to stop drinking. Send them a link to the show. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. That's progress, not perfection. See you next time. Stay
0: fresh, you know,
3: cheese bags. Ooh, Mr. Wide Awake Drives a big old Chevrolet here was music